Welcome to More Tea Vicar, our weekly podcast about culture, theology and life, where Wayne and I sit down and talk about a live issue and how we as followers of Jesus can respond. So this is um, a More Tea Vicar sort of special. We're going to talk about um, Roe versus Wade. And and we're going to talk about how we can respond and how we can talk to our friends about what has been um, just a rather big thing over the last weekend. Um, The other vicar in Morty Vicar, James Stevenson, is somewhere on the West Highland Way uh, with a rucksack and a raincoat. Uh, so I am joined by, we, we, um, we're improving the quality of the podcast this week. I've been joined by Wendy Massey. Hello. Um, to, to talk about this. And um, this is kind of um, a, a big thing. Um, you're aware, just some, so you're here, um, you've been speaking to friends over the weekend. It seems this is an, an issue, um, the overturning of Roe versus Wade that's got quite a lot of people's emotions flying is that right yeah it's certainly something that has popped up in social media it's obviously been the headlines and it's come up in in different conversations that I've had and it's been really interesting to ponder on that and and to see my personal response to that and the response of other people around me and just the emotions that it brings out has has been really challenging okay so our hope in the next however long we're, we're here for is that we will give a framework for how we can talk to our friends uh, about this and about the issue of abortion. Um, but also, if, you, if you're listening and you're not yet a Christian, hopefully you'll hear something of the good news of Jesus and, and, and what it means for us as followers of Jesus to tackle um, really big, tough um, ethical issues. I thought the first thing we wanted to do was talk about um, the fact that there's, everybody will have a personal response to this. Um, we, I mean, what, what do you have to say about that, Wendy? <laughs> I love easy questions on light subjects. It's a really good introduction. So I think my my overwhelming feeling in my spirit, I think, over this is is a sadness. There's, I feel overwhelmed. I feel a bit bewildered. And and not all of that is is because of the judgment that's been made. A lot of it is about the responses that I have seen and the conversations that have stirred and the the images of of pro life and pro-choice people's reactions in a sort of aggressive sort of celebration or or, or sadness and it, it just is so sad to see the the extremes of people's reactions and and the way that people react and there's so much fear and we know that fear doesn't bring the best out in people and I think that's what we're seeing a lot of and experiencing a lot of. And so it, it is worth recognising when we're ever talking to a friend is um, is to say that n- nobody will be being kind of wholly objective on this. We will be bringing our own personal stories, our feelings, our experiences. Um, so uh, I, I worked out the statistics. Um, every year in, in America, 1% of women aged between 18 and 60 have an abortion. Um, so they, they, there's some stats that say between 20 and 25% of women in kind of Western countries where abortion um, is available have either had an abortion or have considered it, um, which means that actually when, whenever we're speaking to anybody, just remember that, that you, you might be speaking to somebody who for whom this is a really live issue um, because it might be part of their story. And also, um, if you're speaking to a man... It doesn't mean it's not part of their story either. So, so be aware of your own personal response. 
but also be aware that the person you might be speaking with um, will be bringing their own story and their own feelings and their emotions to this as well. Um, Kendrick Lamar headlined Glastonbury. This is how down with the kids we are uh, last night. Um, uh, did you know who Kendrick Lamar was pre-Glastonbury, Wendy? No, must no. have said, not particularly. But I, what did he I say? I found it really interesting. I was reading a bit of what he was saying. And, and the, the statement that I really appreciated that he made, irrespective of whether I agree with all his approach to this, is that he has said, in our rush to judgment, we often lose sight of others' humanity. And I think that sums up part of the unease in my spirit is, is that we are so quick on different sides to judge and and actually it is an issue of humanity and we the last thing we want to do and especially as christians the last thing we want to do is lose sight of others humanity we never saw jesus lose sight of people's humanity as he dealt with all different situations and all different responses to him he he always saw the individual and saw their humanity and that's as Christians, we're called to follow him and be like him. And so that's what we need to pattern in our response and in our attitudes to what we see and what we hear. So when you're talking to anybody, um, if you find yourself uh, what, in any kind of ethical argument, disagreeing with them, it is not our job to judge. Uh, Christians believe that the only judge is God himself. Um, and we see what how he judges and what his mercy and love looks like because of the cross. And nor is it our job to condemn. Uh, in fact, God isn't into the condemnation. We know that Jesus, when he meets the woman caught in adultery, does not condemn her. So we need to prayerfully take that attitude into all of our conversations. I thought it'd be good to talk a little bit about cultural and political contexts, <laughs> um, mainly because I, I don't know what you think about this, um, but when when you talk to your friends about an issue like this, and if I say, for example, oh, I believe in the sanctity of life, uh, my friend, my default is that my friends presume I've taken sides in the political and the cultural debates of the Western world. Do you think, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. You can see, particularly in America, that this is becoming a real political issue as much as it's an ethical or moral issue. And, and in some of my ponderings about this, I've realised how different my worldview is to perhaps people who aren't, don't consider themselves to be Christians or, or wouldn't, wouldn't particularly follow Jesus. And so it's really interesting because we come from what you might call in inverted commas a Christian country, but actually our, our worldviews, I think, are becoming more and more different to the people we're living alongside and, and their understanding of, of humanity and their understanding of, of morality is, so, is so different. So, for example, in, in America, <clears throat> it's well recognizing that the, the, the overturning of Roe versus Wade or the upholding of Roe versus Wade is something that has been weaponized uh, within politics and within the culture war. Um, and the fear um, is that if you say whatever you think, uh, you will then be seen to be taking one of the two sides in the culture war. Um, but, for example, um, if you take... Uh, the left-wing side of that culture war around this issue is that for the sake of um, protecting the vulnerable and for the sake of protecting society, uh, in America, guns should be banned and gun control should be brought in. And for the sake of protecting people's individual liberty, freedom and privacy, abortion should be allowed. And then if you take the right-wing side, for the sake of protecting the vulnerable and the weakest abortion should be banned and for the sake of protecting privacy and individual liberty you should be allowed to carry your handgun in your handbag uh, and and actually it's possible um and there's a christian activist called shane claiborne it's possible to say as a christian i might have an opinion about um something like x or claiborne said 
I believe in the sanctity of life, and so I support their decision around Roe versus Wade. He said, but I also go, I'm completely appalled that the same Supreme Court can't legislate around the Second Amendment and gun control. And so so this is the problem that we have as Christians, is that quite often um, we're neither right nor left, and, and people want to paint us into one side of a big cultural divide, um, and we might not be there. So it's worth recognizing that, and, and if you can, in a conversation with a friend, share that. The other thing it's worth us all admitting, because um, we have teenagers in our house, and generally when we talk to them about anything, they seem to be experts on it. Is that fair? Always. Always. <laughs> um, it's okay to put your hand up and go, do you know I'm not, an, I'm not a legal expert on the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which my understanding was an attempt to correct the defects of the 13th Amendment following the abolition of slavery and was designed to help uh, non-white people um, fully participate as citizens of the United States of America and how that applies to um, medical ethics in the 20th and 21st century. You see, I, I'm not an expert in that. So you sound I like you might be. <laughs> I'm an expert in sounding like I might be in lots of stuff. But it's that sense of saying, actually, do you know what? I'm not taking sides in a cultural war and I'm not an expert in legal process or on the politics of America, nor am I getting involved in that. Um, everyone has a worldview. Um, what do you have to say about that? Well, <laughs> small question again. Um, I think it, this is what has struck me over the weekend. I was, I was surprised to read something that talked about uh, pro-life being related to an extreme ideology. And when people talk about extreme ideologies, I think about Islamic State. I don't think about my Christian faith as an extreme ideology. And I read something else about trying to return to Victorian morality. And it, it suddenly made me realise that I'm coming from a different place because I'm coming from a Christian upbringing, I'm coming from a Christian understanding of um, of life and of, of God being in control and of God being sovereign and of God having a plan for my life that I can trust. And um, it says in the, in the Westminster Catechism, there's a question that says, what is our only hope in life and death? And our only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong to God in body, mind and spirit. And so when I hear people talking um, in, a, in a sort of pro-choice, very, you know, pro-feminists, very pro-women's choice, uh, that, you know, talking about men who suggest that, that pro-choice is wrong and it's misogyny, I suddenly think, oh, but I don't think I'm a misogynist. I don't see myself as that. But what I see myself as is I am, I'm, as a Christian, I see myself in God's hands and I see God's sovereignty over my life and over my body. And so I think my perspective and the filter with which I see some of these choices is is perhaps very different. And I don't think I'd registered that fully to the people around me who, so that, who see themselves maybe as more individualistic. So that's really good because actually I think the thing to do is is asking questions is really important because ask questions of one another, of of their worldview, of their understanding, you know, um, what is freedom? So uh, in other podcasts, um, James and I have talked about the Christian in, Christian understanding of freedom is freedom to become gods and to, uh, as in not to become a god, but to be, you know, to be, you know, to become a child of God and to become under the sovereignty and the rule and the reign of God. Whereas the Western view of freedom is freedom is the freedom to do whatever you want. It's the freedom, it's the freedom from constraint, whereas the Christian view of freedom is the freedom of having been released from sin to be free to follow God. And so, so it's ask questions of people's worldview. What is a human being? Um, 
what is the purpose of creation? Um, you know, because actually, if you have a an atheistic hum, humanist worldview, you will definitely have a different view to most of the faiths to how to what it is to be a human being, what it is to care for one another, or to care for creation, and what it means, and where, for example, life might begin. So that's a, a really key thing. And, and our worldviews shape our moral decisions and behaviours. So actually, as you are thinking about this, it's worth talking to your friends about this, but it's worth working this out for yourself, that actually you need to go, well, what is my worldview? How do I understand my place within the world and what the world is for and all about? Because actually when I get that, I'm then able to work back down towards um, towards a, coming up with an ethic for all sorts of moral situations, of which abortion is just one. So let's go, let's think about the Christian worldview. So the interesting one is there's a, there's a writer called Stanley Harawas. I don't know if you ever heard of him, Wendy. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> See, oh, this is different. James and I at this point, James, he, James wants to. Um, if you are a regular listener to this podcast, you know James wants us to um, quote Saint Augustine. But Harawas said that um, when thinking about this is a way into us talking about worldview. So if you think about the Christian respect for life, is first of all it's not a statement about life. It's actually a statement about God. And so our worldview starts not with ourselves, which is actually kind of different to a kind of post-Christian worldview. It doesn't start with humanity, but it starts with God and what God is like and what he has done. So we understand that God is love, that God is the creator, and that God is sovereign. Make sense to you? Yeah, and that we're made in God's image. Yeah. And so, and as such, we've got this dignity and this honours as as image bearers of God, um, and that's what kind of separates us from the rest of the created order. It doesn't mean that we we can we're not supposed to abuse the created order. We're supposed to care for it, um, but we are different. We are um, when human God said it was very good in the in the creating the Genesis narrative when humanity is made, mm. and let us make man in our image. Um, so male and female, he made them in the image of God, and so there's this understanding that 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 actually our worldview is that that this creation has a loving creator who was sovereign over it. It has a purpose. You said our only hope in life and death is that we're not our own, but we belong mm. to God. It has a purpose to point to who God is and his love and his glory, and that we are such as the image bearers of God um, reflect that. And it's bigger than what we can perceive. And I think in our current culture, we, we've struggled to perceive anything outside of ourselves. And so we therefore a little bit blinkered I think uh, whereas whereas when you have a sort of God's perspective it is so much bigger and therefore our understanding is, it's is I think it's a different filter and and it's easy to forget that there is that filter and therefore to to misunderstand one another so so as Christians and then um so a guy called Richard Hayes who writes the standard book that anybody doing undergraduate theology will read it's called Moral Vision of the New Testament but he talks about how actually, therefore, as Christians, when we have ethical and moral conversations, we don't have them with using the same frameworks and the same language and the same precepts as um, the the non-Christian world or the world outside the church. We use them within the concept of, um, well, there is 
we are under God's sovereign care. We have been brought into the family of God, and there are different... So he would say, for example, using the idea of individual liberty and freedom, that that is not a question that we would bring into this debate as for ourselves as Christians, um, because we, we understand that we've been brought into the family and the household of God, and that we're no longer our own. We're God's and one another's. Um, and so therefore, we would have a conversation around that, come up with an ethic, and then we would share that in love with a world that might not understand it. Our key, uh, what's our key text? Uh, what's the key, th- the key, not the key text, I don't mean, it's the Bible is the key thing, that's what I'm trying to say, Wendy. the Bible is the key thing in which we would begin to kind of, the Bible and the tradition of the church in which we would begin to come with an opinion on this. Um, now yeah, I've, and so, so when you read the Bible, you see um, that pregnancy is an important thing. There, there isn't a, an obvious comment on abortion in the Bible. So it's not one of those things where we can say, well, let's refer to this verse and chapter and that will tell us the answer to this debate um, because I think there is no easy answer. That's the thing. There's no sort of, oh, that's an absolutely correct response. Um, But we can see through the Bible, we can see that that pregnant women are are upheld. Um, Having children is celebrated we, we see references to, to John the Baptist leaping in Elizabeth's womb when, when Mary comes and she's pregnant with Jesus. And, and we read, many people might want to refer back to Psalm 139, which is a beautiful psalm talking all about how we were knit together in our mother's womb and that God knew us in that time. So there are references to the sanctity of life um, throughout the Bible, uh, hmm. but there isn't anything no, so you're right. So, so, yeah, so, so key texts, so key texts can be kind of um, used. So there's one in Exodus in which, um, if a woman is struck and she's pregnant, and it says the baby comes out of her and dies, that the pe- the people who struck her won't won't be subject to punishment. And actually, but that's not about abortion. That's about accidental harm. Mm-hmm. Um, that psalm is primarily about the foreknowledge of God, but it does talk about you knit me in my mother's womb. Um, the uh, John the Baptist leaping. Um, when um, uh, Mary comes to Elizabeth, uh, is is about something about the uniqueness of the incarnation and who, who and 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 Jesus inside Mary at the time. But there's also there's um, children are a blessing. The, one of the Psalms um, talks about how children are a blessing from the Lord. Um, and so so there are no texts, but there's enough in there's enough in the whole way through the text to talk through through the through the scriptures to build up this view of the sanctity of human life, which is why um, at the beginning of life and the end of life, you Christians are generally against euthanasia mm-hmm. um, because life is life is not ours to end either um, under the sovereignty of God. So, so that's the first thing about like when we start with that Christian worldview that begins with God as a loving creator is that actually the tradition of the church and from sort of day one, the early writings of the church, the early church was um, rescuing abandoned babies off um uh, Roman trash heaps and, mm-hmm. and was was a, was against abortion from the start. The tradition of the church picking up the witness of the text has always been life is sacred and it's not ours to end. And actually that point and that understanding of when it begins is is actually within the womb. And then but that and but that is a clash with a worldview that says my body is my own. But as we said, we're having a context within a conversation, sorry, within the context of a Christian understanding of we're not our own anyway. Yeah, um, this is it. And that Christian understanding, if you carry on through the Bible, is of of celibacy outside marriage. It's of purity. It's of a different lifestyle and different lifestyle choices that mean that children would only be born within marriage. And therefore, that's another 
another piece of, of the puzzle which changes, I think, people's attitudes. But like I was saying earlier about these extreme ideologies, the idea that there wouldn't be unwanted pregnancy because an idea of purity and, and abstaining from sex outside marital relationships. And so that brings in other complexities, of course, which, which you see, yeah, so less than straightforward. So, you've got, so, so we've got God, sovereign creator. We take our, we, we start our ethic working out from there. We've got then, we've got the, what the Bible says about um, the nature of uh, human beings and the sanctity of life. And another thing, another uh, Richard Hayes in his book makes a wonderful point about when it comes to ethics and morals, um, that the scriptures are always widening who falls into the category of vulnerable and not narrowing it down. And so so actually in his chapter on abortion, he, he cites the teacher of the law who comes to ask Jesus about, you know, what it means to follow the law. And Jesus talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, uh, the teacher of the law asks a question, who is my neighbor? Which is then followed by the, the good Samaritan. And Hayes makes the point that what the teacher is trying to do is get a narrow definition of who his neighbor is. And Hayes goes, it's the same question is, is, is the question, is a fetus a life, is, is a narrowing question. Um, and he said, and so whenever you're coming into ethical situations and you're thinking about the vulnerable, he said, Jesus calls you to open up, never to narrow down, but to open up. And so, so as we come down, we've got this, you've got this sense that the Christian worldview is basically saying human life is sacred and the vulnerable and the vulnerable are more than we think, um, are to be cared for and looked after. But then we live east of Eden, and so you've then got to try and work out how you play that ethic out in a fallen and broken world. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where what we were saying about losing sight of others' humanity and remembering Jesus' compassion, I think, really comes to the fore. And that's where I think over the years Christians have, have mispitched it because we've come across as judgmental, we've come across as... As, as intolerant of, of other people's ways. And actually, that's where we need to be careful in our responses. We need to be listening to people. We need to be mindful that we are mixing in a world. And, and even within the church where people have had to have abortions for whatever reason, and they won't have taken that decision lightly, and they will probably carry shame, they will probably carry pain. And it's how we bring Jesus into that pain, into that shame, because he doesn't call us to live with pain and with shame. He calls us to live life to the full. And and there's nothing that we can't take to him and find that he meets us in that and he forgives us and he brings us wholeness in our pain. And so I think that's the really important thing is to is when we are keen to be at these extremes and, and shouting our opinions from the rooftops, we end up not able to actually have conversation and actually tell our stories. But when we go in with humility and say, I want to hear your story, I want to understand where you've come from, where, you, where you've been. And, I, and, and then our prayer is that people in that journey will encounter Jesus and encounter him in, in his love for them. And, and so that's, as Christians, where we need to sit in this debate, really. And then as Christians, as, you're, as Christians come up with an ethic around this, um, I think, uh, I'm pausing, I think, I think it's quite clear that, that a Christian ethic will always start with God as a loving creator and the sanctity of life. Mm. But, then it's, but then as it works itself out, it'll work itself out in different things. So, so for example, I, I, I struggle personally with any state in America that passes a law around abortion that means that, Having an, abort having an abortion when you have an ectopic pregnancy 
um, wouldn't be allowed is, is kind of, for me, around the sanctity of life and the health of the mother and the viability of that pregnancy. I, I don't understand how you can get there. Now, there might be some Christians who disagree with me. That's me personally. Yeah. Or the other one is if you present in uh, a police station having been raped, mm. you'll be given the morning after pill in this country. And there are some Christians who might see that as a not a great thing, but in but in the midst of a big evil, um, a kind of a necessary awful thing to do around whole around um around this issue but there are other christians who might disagree there mm. and actually those are the places where we need to kind of give each other freedom to come up with our ethic and to, and to hold it but but within the understanding of the sanctity of life and the love of god and so that's first thing i'm saying is, is as a christian we're not i'm not expecting everybody to hold exactly the same view but to try and work out what wh- where they think what they think and then to remember as you said, we, you do talk a bit a little about how the voices that we hear constantly in any in any argument are always the extremes. Mm. And like, for example, even in America, where we think everything's extreme, sixty five percent of Americans think that uh, abortion should be restricted in the second and third trimesters. But we don't ever hear about those sixty five percent. We hear about the ones who think it should never happen, or the ones who think it should happen all the time. You know, as in when I meant all the time, I meant full term. Um, and so, actually, it's, it's an awareness that. That actually there is there's quite a silent middle ground in most mm. ethical issues as mm. well. Um, so don't feel that you have to think exactly the same as me or you. Uh, you point at Wendy, but actually, we work our ethic out in a fallen world. But we start with God and love and creation, and we come down as opposed to from us and up. And uh, the standards we may expect of ourselves with our perspective of, mm. of, of looking at things through the Bible and through our Christian faith will will be different to to the expectations that others have on themselves. And so we need to be careful of that, that we respect their, their humanity as we journey through life and, and we try and point to God in what we believe without putting those expectations on others that may be unbearable. Yeah. Um, so it, it, and this essentially when the last bit we're going to talk about is in terms of how we can respond and talk to people is actually... Po- it, talking about the vocation of the church so you are we you are a city on a hill a light in the darkness you know and actually what does it look like to speak a prophetic word to culture mm. and what do you putting you on the spot i mean what is the prophetic word to culture that the church <laughs> you can't see wendy's face of asked her this question but what is <clears throat> you know it, is there a prophet what is the word that we bring to culture around this well the, the word is that that our only hope in life and death is that we're not our own and we belong to God. So our, our the hope that we have and the hope that we have not just in life but we have in death is a hope for all eternity. And so we want to point to, to God in creation. We want to point to God's sovereignty in our own lives and the fact that we can trust in him because he is good. And I think his perfect love does cast out all fear and and so it's great that we can we can trust him and we don't need to give way to the fear because i think a lot of these debates are, are overwhelmed with fear of of not having the freedom not having control over our own lives and and not having an understanding outside of ourselves yep what so what would you say oh i so, say something very very similar to that <laughs> I, um I think our job is not to win an argument. It's to point to Jesus. Um, uh, And I know I I like winning arguments, but actually that's the point. The point is to point to Jesus and is not to say, this is what I think and I'm right and you're wrong. 
Um, but actually, this is the God who saved me. This is the God who loves me. And this is the God who's redefined me and shown me a new way of living. I'd love you to meet him as well. Um, and so, so as complex and as hard as this issue is, it is an opportunity for the church to be the church um, and for Jesus to be glorified. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me in more tea, Vicar. Um, and uh, um, maybe, maybe we'll get you to do another one. I need to ask James. <laughs> thank you for listening. <laughs>